You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Julie Hartness. Um, I have the privilege today of reading the scripture to you. It is Isaiah 55, and this is found on page 576 in the Black Bibles under your seats. Um, And I just wanted to take a minute and welcome anybody who might be new today. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take one of these black Bibles with you. Um, Please feel free to do that. It's a great way to review the scripture uh, from this week. And it's also, um, I encourage you to read um, the Christmas story. It's a wonderful time of year to learn more about Jesus. So I encourage you to do that. Um, My husband, Dan, and I have been coming to Free City for almost five years, and we are a part of the Stuart Weiniger City Group, so yay. Um, I also serve on the Teardown team and have served in uh, kids before as well. Um, Dan and I also sometimes lead Financial Peace University, so if any of you have questions about what the Bible says about money management or generosity, um, come find me. I would love to talk with you about that. I will be tearing down uh, after church today, so come find me. Um, And so with that, we'll go ahead and read Isaiah 55. And again, it's on page 576. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for all the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Me, please. Um, God, we thank you for another... Sunday that we can all come here together to learn um, from your word. And God, I pray for um, I, I pray for the message. I pray that you would speak through Ethan and that we would hear 
the message that you have for each one of us. Um, God, thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you for sending your son um, to die on the cross for our sins. And so um, as we head into this Christmas week, um, I really uh, just pray that we would have the focus on you um, throughout the week and that we can just be reminded and, and praise you and thank you for all that you have done for us. Um, God, I pray for the school here. Um, thank you for the relationship that we have with the school that allows us to, to gather and meet and, and learn about your word. Um, Lord, I pray for rest and restoration for the kids and the teachers. Um, pray that they would have um, just a, a peaceful break, that they can come back rejuvenated and, and ready to, to teach and learn. And God, I ask that you would show us as a church ways that we can bless the teachers of Central Middle School. Um, lay specific needs on our hearts that we can meet those needs. Um, show us how we can pray for the students and the staff here. And God, we just um, thank you again for, for today and thank you for the message. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thankful that you're with us. Those of you that hung around for the holiday or are maybe on your way out, I know a lot of our students are kind of in transition, and, um, and I, I hope that this is a, a good holiday. I realize when we talk about um, any holiday, Christmas is probably a specific one, and, and you probably just came out of Thanksgiving. You know, sometimes we, we step into holidays uh, with great joy. I know in my household, I, man, I loved waiting on Christmas and getting to go to my grandparents' house, getting to be uh, with family and, and whatnot. I also know that a lot of times whenever you get to holidays, uh, it might be a time that you've been dreading for months. And so as we step in this week, and, and maybe you're contemplating what this week might look like as you gather around people who you uh, avoid 364 days a year, that you would hear the, the nearness of God um, that, that maybe if, if you step into um, a place where it's highly conflicted, people have wounded you, um, wherever you're at odds, uh, that, that God would be near you um, in the holidays and, and that uh, you would feel his love wrapping you up. Um, and this morning, what, one thing, I mean, I'll, I'll mention this at the end, but uh, we have a prayer team that, that we uh, have at, during communion. And if in those moments, uh, if that's kind of you or you're like, man, I'm not sure what I'm experiencing stepping in the holidays, we'd love for you to step back uh, and just offer what you know to them and uh, let them appeal to the God of the universe uh, to comfort you, bring you peace in this season. We'll get going into the text this morning. If you've been with us for uh, a while, we uh, have started a sermon series uh, that we're calling Jesus, Joy, and Sinners. And we've loosely based it, we've mentioned this a bunch of weeks, we've loosely based it around Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, here's how we've based it. If you look at each chapter, there's like verses that coincide with the chapters. We've taken those completely out of order, and we've used those verses to launch us in, and we've kind of tried to put it into some order. Uh, we have copies of those books at the info table, and we'd love for you to pick it up, because here's what it ultimately conveys. The heart of God. Um, to see the heart of God through Jesus Christ. And so we would love for that to be a helpful resource for you. If it's helpful, um, if it's not, uh, that's fine. Uh, as Julie said, we'd love for you to read Dana Ortland's book. We'd rather you read this. 
Cool? Um, we actually think that this is actually going to change your life. That's going to be helpful, but the changing parts uh, of that book will be because this book is life-transforming. Um, so as, we, uh, as we're in this series, we're really trying to, it's what I, what I just said, we want to see the heart of God. We want to come face-to-face uh, with who God is, and we want to realize, we're trying to, to bring this to the surface, that um, what we're looking for in life and what we're hoping for um, is found only in Jesus. And uh, we want to together behold Jesus more clearly. Um, this is always the, the pathway and the avenue at Free City, that we want to behold Jesus, the one who calls us, the one who welcomes a needy, um, a wicked people, as was just read in, in the text, to come and actually be satisfied. We want to see him for who he really is, realize that true satisfaction is only found in Jesus. And so as we look, um, even just considering that, the, the reality of this positions us in uh, this season of Advent. We're in week four of Advent, and Advent is, is really a season within the Christian calendar that um, is a season where we kind of come together and wait. Advent is a word that, that means uh, coming or arrival. And uh, so as we think about Advent, we want to um, think and consider cultivate our awareness of what God has done through Jesus Christ, what he's done in the past, what he's done in the present, currently established for you, and what he promises in the future. And so this, situ- this season is one where we situate ourselves in the prophecies of a promised Messiah. So as we talk about the word, the Old Testament, we have promises of one who will come. And uh, we, knowing about Jesus, this promised Messiah, are a people who now wait for the second coming. And so we want to heighten uh, our senses in an anticipation of the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament promises when death will be swallowed up forever and every tear will be wiped away from every eye. And so today we've been in Galatians, we've been in Matthew, today we find ourselves in Isaiah, and this is specifically helpful because Isaiah is one of the clearest pictures of this promised Messiah. And so I want to give you just a snippet before we get into Isaiah um, to kind of get us on the same page as we step into it this morning. When we talk about the Bible, uh, we say this often, uh, who's the main character throughout all the Bible? Who's the main character? You could say something. I know Kevin Gray's not here to help you out this morning, (laughs) right? He has a name. He's the promised Messiah. Yes, we're going to hang right there. I'm going to ask you again here in a couple minutes. We're going to come back to it. Jesus is the main. He's the golden thread in all the scriptures that holds it and pulls it together. So here's the first note that we want to just, as we're looking at Isaiah this morning, when reading the Bible, you should read the Bible like a member of the Swifties. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know Taylor Swift? You ever heard of her? So her fan club, these crazy fans... They're always, always anticipating, looking, waiting what she's going to release next or do next. They're like looking for clues, foreshadowing when she posted something on social media, what she was wearing when she did it, what uh, address numbers in the background of the photo might exist, right? They're always trying to decode this. What I mean is we want to read in a way the Old Testament, knowing that it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to be searching, we just know it's about him. And we know this, 
In 2 Corinthians 1.20, we know that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Elsa goes on to say, that's why we utter through him, we utter our yes and amen to God for his glory. And then Paul in, in Romans also writes, for I tell you that, Romans 15, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm firm the promises that were given to the patriarchs. And so if we think about the promises given to the patriarchs, this goes way, way, way back. We go back to when God called Abraham in Genesis 12. It's the beginning of the scriptures. And at this point, Abraham was still Abram. And to him, God said this in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He said, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. But then we can even go further back than that. All the way to the beginning. The very beginning of Genesis. God created everything out of nothing. Light, dark, vegetation, animals, man, and woman. And mankind made in the image of God. Given dominion and freedom within the good and wonderful creation that God had made. There was a man named Adam that God created. And Adam was given a command. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, he said, You have dominion over all this, but here's the thing. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And God creates woman in Genesis 18, and God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And immediately following that, a crafty serpent shows up. He adds to God's words, and he deceives Eve. And she and Adam ultimately eat of that which they were commanded not to eat. They sinned. They trespassed against God. They didn't trust God's word. They thought that they knew better and as they defied the holy and righteous father of everything in a moment, was flipped upside down. The world was fractured and broken, and sin entered the world. And then they covered themselves, if you're familiar with the text. And God came to them in their newly committed sin, and, and in his abundant mercy, he didn't kill them right then and there. Instead, he issues a curse to the serpent. Genesis 3.15, he says this, I will put enmity before you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then God explains to Adam and Eve the difficulty of life from here on out, that things aren't the way they once were. And as he sends them out of the garden, he graciously clothes them on their way. But that's not the end. The offspring that was promised in Genesis 3.15, the snake crusher, if you will, is the glimmer of hope in the darkness. He's, as Frederick Buechner, he has this book uh, called The Son of Laughter. And if you haven't ever read it, you should check it out. It's a novel uh, about the son of laughter. Laughter is Isaac, and so it's about Jacob. And it's him kind of allegory of sorts uh, on the scriptures. I'm not saying that it's exactly like the scriptures, but it's a good read. But here's what he says about this snake crusher, if you will. He says, he's the fire that the whole world will live to warm its hands at. He's the fire 
in the dark that will light the whole world home. He's the promised one. And as we go on in the Old Testament, we see glimpses of him everywhere. But for the sake of today, we're in Isaiah. In the beginning of Isaiah, in 7, verse 14, we see that it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're issued pictures of foretelling of what he'll be like and what he'll do. And we see that he'll give joy to a people who have lived in darkness. He'll take their burden. He'll altogether rule differently. He'll go by a different name. And it sounds something like this in Isaiah 9. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're told that this Messiah, this one that's promised, of his increase, of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So throughout Isaiah, we have loads and loads of verses giving picture after picture of this reign that is to come. And Isaiah introduces us to one called the servant. If you're paying attention, who's the servant? Same question, same answer. Jesus is a servant. And to get us to today's text, we first see a crescendo that begins in chapter 53 of Isaiah and then leads us into 55. In 53, we see the redemptive work of this servant. It says that he would make many to be accounted righteous, and he would bear the iniquities of them. And an abundantly clear picture of what Christ accomplishes through his cross. We read this at Good Friday services. We read this for assurances here, week in and week out. We, you hear it probably often. And then as we get into 54, chapter 54 of Isaiah, we see the benefit of the servant's work for Israel. He says, I'll have great compassion. I'll gather you. My steadfast love, it won't depart from you. My covenant of peace won't be removed. And then in 55, we see an even more clearly the compassion of God through an invitation to a costly feast. And that's where we're at today. So let me pray for us as we get in the text, and we'll get rolling. Lord, we do ask that we would see um, Jesus clearly this morning. That we would evaluate ourselves, we would consider where we are, we would uh, hear your voice to us, Father. We would see your compassion, we'd know your abundance in mercy. We would not just hear of it, we would experience it. And Lord, to that which you call us, that we would respond in the way that you empower us. We would trust you. So open our ears, um, fix our eyes on Christ. It's in his name, amen. Well, this morning, here's where we're going to look at the main kind of thing, that satisfaction is only found in the great invitation that God extends to guilty sinners. Satisfaction is only found in the great invitation that God extends to guilty sinners. And we're going to look at this in three different points. We're going to break it down. First, we're going to look at the invitation we're going to see verses 1 through 5, the invitation to come. Secondly, we're going to look at the requirement. This is verses 6 through 9. This is read for the confession this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. It's going to say, let the wicked forsake his way. And then they're going to see the promised provision. That it equips, satisfies, transforms. 
So let's look at the invitation. In verse 1 of Isaiah 55, the invitation, it says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. My wife is uh, half Lebanese. So she came from a Lebanese family. Her father's side is uh, Lebanese. Her grandparents were um, first ones born in the United States. Their older siblings uh, were born in Lebanon, and, and they uh, were immigrants to the States. Uh, here's the thing about a Le- Lebanese family that I know. They know how to throw parties, awesome parties. I specifically mean weddings. So if you think about a Lebanese wedding, food, drinks, fun, top shelf everything, and it's all covered. So here's what I know. When you get an invitation to a Lebanese wedding and you already had plans, you cancel those plans and you say, I'll be there. Because you know, you're going to eat as much as you want till full. You're going to drink whatever you want. You're going to dance, and it's going to be good music. This is no chump DJ. This is a for real cover band that's playing good songs. It's going to be a fun time. But here's the thing. The cost is completely covered when you show up, but not by me. There's no cover charge at the door. The cost is covered by the one sending the invite. The only thing necessary is to respond to the invitation, yeah? Isn't this the same thing we see in verse 1? Right out of the gate, we see an invitation, and seemingly urgent invitation, though, by the number of times that they use the word come. It's mentioned four times in 28 words. Verse 1, come. So we know exactly what the host desires for the recipients, and how they are to respond. But notice who's invited. It says, come, everyone who thirsts. This is a universal call. It's inclusive of everyone who would receive it. And he goes on, come to the waters. He who has no money. So if we take a bit look, uh, look a little deeper who's included in the invitation, we see that it's for those who have some sort of existing need. Furthermore, it seems that those who uh, are without money are even in good faith because fair is offered to, you, you are able to purchase without price to those who receive the call. The one who has no money is a welcome customer. They can eat according to their need. There is a purchase price, but it's not theirs to pay. They bring their lack, they're given abundance. And isn't this a familiar invitation as well? Does anyone else talk about this type of invitation or talk like this in the scriptures? Come, come to me. Does anyone say this? Still there, still with Jesus. That's right. And that's where we're going to stay. In John 7, verse 37, Jesus stands up at a feast. And he says, on the last day of the feast, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then in Luke's account, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Luke 6, verse 20, Jesus lifts up his eyes on the disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So we don't deserve this invitation. We've earned no right to it. 
Yet the host is persistent in his welcome. Come. Look at verse 2. It says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. The invitation has been extended to the thirsty and those without money, but in verse 2, the call is to even those with money. The invite contains an inquiry of sorts. It says, hey, why are you squandering what you have on things that won't satisfy you? And that's an insightful question. Like, when's the last time you paused and considered where you might be attempting to, yet in your attempts always failing to find satisfaction? If you examine your hobbies, what do you commit your attention or your finances, your time to? For me, an, an easy one uh, historically has been music gear. If you're into, into instruments, then you can probably sympathize with me. I uh, love the acquisition, right? That's the thing. Bigger, better, haggling for a good trade to find the good thing. Based upon the guitar that my parents gave me when I was seven, my options now are much more diverse and much more costly. But am I satisfied in them? I would say no. I, f- I fight to be, uh, we use this word content, right? Fight to be content. And we're always in that wrestle with, am I trying to be satisfied by this? Try to be content, but it's a fight. Uh, a few friends and I have kind of a running joke that applies to pretty much anything that you would ever acquire, but it's this. Uh, how many guitars are enough? There's an equation for it. The answer is N plus one. And N is the number of guitars that you currently have, right? You can apply this to bicycles, shoes, jackets, whatever you want to apply it to. I say that in somewhat in jest, but, but here's the thing. When I come across a deal or, or an item that I, man, absolutely cannot pass up, it's in those moments that I begin to realize my heart uh, is actually involved in a quest for satisfaction. And so if, if you don't have hobbies or you don't acquire things, well, you know, in, in really clear things like that, what, what do you spend your time doing? Like how's last week's screen time report on your phone this morning? How's that look? If you haven't already disabled that. I know a lot of people are like, man, I don't want to see that. How was your last trip to just Target, right? There's a question. Or what's the Amazon person delivering to your house this week? How many times are they going to be at your house this week? Or maybe spending in a sense, it's not your thing. So what about when you're worn out and nothing is going your way and you spend all your energy to get the break that you've so long craved? When you finally get the space, you find yourself even more put out because that which you longed for ended up not as great as what you hoped for. In screw tape Letters, C.S. Lewis illustrates an unsatisfying quest of life. He calls it... Uh, the horror of the same old thing. In one of the letters, uh, he, Uncle Screwtape, it, it's this, this book where um, there's an uncle, <laughs> he's a demon, writing to, uh, will you still hear me? Right, I stepped on something as that happened, weird. Um, right, he's, an, he's a, a demon writing to his n- demon nephew, which sounds crazy, but if you haven't read the book, it's not crazy. It's a helpful insight for Christians. 
But here's what he says. Uncle Screwtape writes this. He says, he's writing about the horror of the same old thing. Only by our incessant efforts is the demand for infinite or unrhythmical change kept up. This demand is valuable in various ways. In the first place, it diminishes pleasure while increasing desire. The pleasure of novelty is, by its very nature, more subject than any other to the law of diminishing returns. And continued novelty costs money, so that the desire for it spells avarice or unhappiness or both. Do you suffer from this? Do you find yourself constantly dissatisfied in life, playing the role of the foolish shopper, spending your money on that which does not satisfy? We need to hear God's call. In verse 2, he says, listen diligently to me. He doesn't say, stop eating. He says, eat what's good and delight yourself. He's not out to steal your joy. He's out to direct and give you actual joy. Delight yourselves in rich, abundant food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I think if we'd all be honest this morning, we could admit that we feast on or labor for that which does not satisfy. Feel it at the end of each week or maybe the end of each day or when your paycheck runs out, or when people in your life let you down. Isaiah 55 welcomes us, invites us to look to the right thing. And if we notice, there's a shift in language. Verse 1 says, come to the waters. And verse 3 says, come to me. The invitation now, come to me, is bound with a promise that says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. It's my steadfast and sure love for David. And this promise, this is a pledge that God himself made to David in 2 Samuel 7. King Saul, and if you go to 2 Samuel 7, had just failed and God anointed David as king. In 2 Samuel 7, 15, he says, But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, speaking of David, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David's house, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then in Psalm 89, verses 33 and 35, we have continuing the same thought. Notice the use of the word my. It says, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love. Or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my command or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. This is a covenant with God. And the who of that matters. A covenant sworn by God means that human failure cannot break it. The lineage of David will remain God will not lie. And so just so we're staying true, does this sound familiar? Jesus, again, Luke 1.30 says this, and the angel shows up to Mary, and he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And if there's any question, Paul clarifies this for us in Acts 13, 23, where he says, Of this man, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. He continues in verse 32, saying, And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. Remember the patriarchs. This was promised way long ago. That this is fulfilled by their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You're my son, today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. The invitation to come is backed up by a powerful and sure promise, a covenantal promise made by God, fulfilled by God through the lineage of David in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4. He says, Behold, I made him, speaking of David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. It says, behold, so there's this emphatic, behold, the widespread invitation will draw people because they see the glory of God on display through Jesus Christ. A people transformed, those who were once far off, Ephesians 2, are now a covenantal people. These people were without hope and without God in the world. This people receive the invitation and they realize that satisfaction is only found in the great invitation that God extends to guilty sinners. So we see the invitation that is to come. We see it backed up by a good and sure promise from God. We look at the requirement. And this is really the pivot point of Isaiah 55. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The invitation's been sent out, and response is crucial. It's crucial because the invitation, this opportunity, will not last forever. There will come an end. Here's how we know this end. You will either die, or Christ will return. So the call, instruction remains. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Paul, the apostle, echoes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, when he says, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to us, and he says, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul continues in the next chapter in 6, and he says, behold, Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's an urgency here. Timing is imperative. Look at verse 7 again. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. In our day and age, this kind of statement is a tough pill to swallow. Consider it. The invitations received, but upon entry to the party, the invited guests... They have to denounce themselves. 
Imagine the uproar to this condition. We live in a time where my truth or your truth or kind of the who could know shrug exists. No one can hold anyone's feet to the fire, so a demand of this nature would surely be offensive. You going to tell me I'm wrong? I got to deny something? Isn't it so easy for those who are thirsty to forget that their thirst stems from their wickedness? The host says, come in as you are, but not to stay as you are. We may be led to believe that this is some indignant or disappointed God, but I want you to hear this. There's no need to fear of how God will respond to those who come and forsake their way. Isaiah tells us exactly. He says, let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is not disappointed. And so today he's not disappointed in you. He knows exactly who he's invited to this feast. He's not surprised by what you've done or who you are. He doesn't shame you or condemn you. For those who call upon him, forsake their way, he has compassion. And Paul in Romans 10, 13 hits us with the truth bomb that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't that seem like abundant pardoning? The requirement is to call upon him while he may be found, to abandon your way and your thoughts, your lifestyle and your ideology because they're so utterly incompatible with God. Look at verses eight and nine. He says, for my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These verses are to leave us in awe of who God is. The beginning of verse 8 says 4. It connects us back to verse 7 and helps us see more clearly what he's like. His thoughts aren't like the unrighteous. He's not like ours. And his ways are not wicked. And further, his compassion and mercy are more grand than anything we could ever comprehend. The urgent requirement to call upon God while he may be found and to turn from wickedness for those to receive the great invitation and be satisfied. We talk about the call, the requirement, and we'll look at the promised provision. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. So here we're given a picture, a metaphor for God's word in verse 10. So think about this. Rain and snow, the precipitation, they come down. No one has the power to uh, commence a rainstorm or a snowstorm. This is the work of God alone. And further, rain and snow I guess they do if we're thinking about the cycle, but essentially as they are, they don't return back to where they came, right? They fall, and they are not without purpose. But as it falls, it waters. It gives life, twofold life. One for the one, as it says, who is planting, and nourishment for the one who hungers. So we might say that it equips and satisfies. And this is exactly the word of God. 
It will not return void, but it accomplishes God's purpose. If we jump back into chapter 40 of Isaiah, in verse 8, it said that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. His word does not only stand forever, it gives life. There may be instances where it takes time for the fruit that he's growing to appear in one's life, but when it does, what a gloriously sweet provision it is. And the very supply is able to multiply and bring forth more fruit as God waters its seed to accomplish it, make it grow for that which he's purposed. And here's what's even crazier. We talk about the invitation. We talk about the requirement outlined in today's text. Both of these points are the very promised provision of God's word to accomplish his purposes. He wills and fulfills his plan. And this is his steadfast and sure love. Isaiah 55 concludes with another picture. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah says, when God accomplishes his purposes, it will transform everything. A people who were once thirsty, poor, wicked, unrighteous, utterly dissatisfied, well, now they go out in joy. And consider this, to go out, this would typically be to, they're be, being exiled. But here to go out is to be liberated. If we look back at the text, the people who were once strangers to the one making the call in verse 5, now they have peace. Peace because they've been satisfied, the one who is the full embodiment of peace. And then check it. It's not just, it's not just the people. Creation itself is transformed. The mountains, the hills, the trees, the fields, they're all wilding out here, right? They're going crazy. They repeat the sounding joy. Why the picture of rejoicing from creation? Well, if we go back to Genesis, as mentioned at the beginning, right after Satan is cursed, God says to Adam in 3, 17 and 18, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He says, thorns and thistles it shall bring up for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. And then in Romans 8, 19 and 22, we see that creation waits with eager longing for revealing of the sons of God, those who have rights to God's inheritance, who would break the curse. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It says thorns and thistles are no more. Isaiah closes by giving us a picture of what's been won, but also that which is to come. And to look to a promise that's still to come is effectively hope. And our hope is revealed by the one who's seated on the throne, the one who in Revelation 21, 5 says, behold, I'm making all things new. So brothers and sisters, satisfaction can only be found 
in the great invitation that God extends to guilty sinners to come receive Jesus, to forsake your way. And this is Jesus who extends the invitation to us. In Revelation 22, he says this, I am Jesus, starting at 16. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. And let the one who desires, take the life of water without price. And each week we conclude our services with a time of communion and singing. And our communion is a time for those who believe in Jesus to remember and celebrate what he has accomplished through his arrival, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And we remember this through a meal. And this meal is a reminder that our satisfaction is only found in Jesus. And so if you trust in Jesus as Lord this morning, we invite you to the table. And if you're hearing this for the first time, if, if you renounce your ways and you take the invitation, come to the table. At the front, we have stone glasses and bread. And as you line up in lines and come to the table, there will be those serving it. And they will tear off a piece of bread, the body of Jesus broken for you. And they'll dip it in the wine and proclaim the blood of Jesus shed for your life. And we come and we remember what Christ has done. There's also another option for uh, gluten-free and grape juice. In the cups up here, it's wine. I feel like we need, we need to specify that sometimes. There's wine. And in the back, there's little cups, cellophane-wrapped, gluten-free bread and grape juice. You can step back to the info table and grab one there if you'd like, if you choose to take communion in that way. There's two other options. And if you don't trust in, in Jesus as Lord, our hope is that, that you'd wrestle with the invitation that he gives, that you'd know that it's actually for you. And if you're wrestling, we'd love for you to step back. There's going to be people behind the black curtains that are on our prayer team that have lanyards. Uh, you could pray with them. You could talk with them uh, about who Jesus is, about how you might feel a stirring in your soul today. And then that's the last note, the prayer team. Uh, if there's anything you'd like prayer for, if you're stepping into the holiday season and you're unsure or you're fearful, you find yourself in a season of despair or whatever you might have, um, we would love for you to step back, take advantage of that. People are going to pray to the God that they know hears them and uh, will show abundance and mercy. So let me pray for us. We'll come to communion. Lord, we come this morning. We've heard your call. You say, come to the waters, everyone who thirsts. If you have no money, come buy and eat. There's no need for your money here because it's all been paid. So would we hear the invitation this morning? Would we hear the requirement to, the urgency to seek you, to continue after you, to forsake our ways, to look to you, to realize the great compassion and abundance in mercy that you have for us? And that we'd be moved to Long for that which is to come. When we go out in joy, we're led forth in fullness of peace and all creation together sings your praise. Jesus, you're good. You satisfy us. So would you do that even this morning? In your name, amen.